me to the word of the Lord. We go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6. Also, we will turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 14. I trust that each and every one of you had a tremendous week of thanksgiving time with your family. But it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 9 and 6, Luke 2 and 14. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Luke 2 and 14 declares glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We're coming into the Christmas season. This message does not apply just during Christmas time, but it should apply all year round. But I want to teach for a little while on three dimensions of peace. Three dimensions of peace. Lord bless you as you're seated. If you're like me, Christmas cards have probably already been ordered. And when you look through the Christmas cards, you start choosing out of the hundreds to choose from. You'll find all different greetings on those Christmas cards. One of them, I think, this year said, six feet apart but close at heart. That's a 2020 card. But a lot of them will say, peace on earth. Or they'll have something to do with peace. As, as Christians, we understand that it's impossible to have peace without Christ. As Christians, we understand that. But as a world... The one thing they lack is peace. We, don't, we not only lack peace between nations, we lack peace within ourselves. Dr. Richard Swenson, who is the director of the Future Health Study Center in Wisconsin, reports these findings on the North American workplace. The average desk worker has 36 hours of work on their desk and spends three hours per week sorting through piles. The average manager is interrupted 73 times per day. Moonlighting and overtime are at record levels. Men average 50 hours at work per week. And because their life is more likely to include domestic chores at home, a woman will work 65 to 85 hours per week when you combine home and job. We spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail. We spend one year searching for misplaced objects. We spend two years of our lives trying to call people who aren't in or whose lines are busy. In the 1960s, those who predicted the future advances of technology felt the biggest challenge to the future would be boredom. 
they believed that time-saving technologies would increase productivity. They believed it so much that they informed the U.S. Senate subcommittee that by 1985, people would work about 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, and would retire at the age of 38. They missed the boat. In his book, It's About Time, Leslie Flynn has a piece entitled, If You Are 35, You have 500 days to live. His premise is that when you subtract the time spent sleeping, working, tending to personal matters, hygiene, chores, medical matters, eating, traveling, and other time stealers, in the next 35 years, you will have the equivalent of only 500 days to spend as you wish. But how do you have peace in the middle of modern life? We know that they missed it in 1985 when they predicted people would retire at 38 and have nothing to do. We are now busier than we've ever been before. The pressure to produce and to perform is at an all-time high. And people are living under the stress loads that they were not meant to carry. That's why the Bible says, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. How do we have peace in the midst of this turmoil? First, we've got to stop and define peace according to the Bible because there is a misunderstanding of what peace really is. Most people will define peace as the absence of tension or conflict. The ancient words for peace do not mean the absence of tension or conflict, but rather they mean the tranquility of order. In other words, there may be chaos all around us, but a person with God's Spirit inside of them remains at peace because there is proper order in their life has nothing to do with what's happening on the outside. It is the divine alignment on the inside that produces peace in a person's life. The peace of God is not lack of activity or challenge. You can be busy, but you need to be busy doing what God has called you to do. Not a busy body. There's a difference. When you can be busy... You can be in a world full of chaos and you can operate with peace in your life because you have everything in order like God designed it to be. Ephesians 1 and 2 says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are three dimensions or three applications of peace. In a believer's life. The first dimension is peace with God. Disobedience always brings a feeling of disorder in your life. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were at peace with God. They had fellowship with God. They had communion with the Lord. But when disobedience stepped in, 
they lost their peace because disobedience brings disorder. This kind of peace is a sense of spiritual peace. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was the purpose of the sonship? It was to restore peace. Peace could not come without Jesus Christ offering himself as a ransom for humanity. So it says, I can have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the application of the sonship in my life. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 and 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to know how to discern if you're starting to walk in the flesh and not of the Spirit? Because if you're walking in the flesh, you're not going to have the peace of God. If you walk in the Spirit, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have to have peace with God. Isn't it amazing you can have someone come in, hit an altar, and their life is destroyed destroyed. They pray through the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name, and they go back to the same situation. But they have such peace in their life because their peace is not based upon everything around them. They got into peace with God. Peace with God. First dimension is peace with God. Second dimension is the peace of God. It's two different things. The peace with God is bringing you into spiritual alignment with Him. It's dealing with your salvation. It's dealing with your spiritual standing and the righteousness of God, which is not of ourselves. It's given to us by God. All right? The peace of God. Difficulties can bring a feeling of disorder to your life if you look at them with the wrong perspective. This kind of peace is a sense of psychological order. The first piece is spiritual order. The second piece is psychological order. It's how you view things. It's your perspective. John 14, 27, and I'm going fast because I have 12 pages, and I'm only on page 3. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the peace that God is talking about in this Text is dealing with how you view things going on in your life, your perspective. And when you get the peace of God that cleanses the lens, every time before I leave my office, I have these little lens wipes because throughout the week, I get hairspray, I get oil, I get dust, 
I get all kind of things that want to mess up my perspective. And so what I do before I leave my office is I tear me one open. I clean, I clean my lenses really good. And when I put them back on, it's the same lens I was looking through. But I just changed my perspective. I cleared my perspective. You know what that little piece of cloth represents? The peace of God. When you go to prayer, you start wiping away all of the contaminants that are messing with you and disturbing how you look at your situation, how you look at things. The third dimension, there's peace with God, peace of God, and peace on earth. Differences with others can bring a feeling of disorder to your life if you look at them with the wrong perspective. This kind of peace is a sense of relational order. Peace with God is spiritual order. Peace of God is psychological order. And peace on earth is relational order. Luke 2.24, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 1 Corinthians 14.33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Ephesians 2.14, for He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Talking about what happened with the veil was rent at Calvary. So peace on earth. It's not enough to have peace with God and peace of God. If we're going to be Christians, that's what we're striving to be. We have to have peace on earth in our lives. Now, you're not going to fix what's happening around the world, okay? The book is the book, and what it says is going to happen is going to happen. But in your life, you can have peace on earth with people. So let's talk about what that looks like. I'm going to move rapidly. But how can we have peace on earth with people? Let me give you an acronym for peace in just a second. The Bible says, Proverbs 29 and 8, Fools start fights everywhere. Wise men try to keep the peace. How about that? You know what amazes me is how many keyboard warriors there are who won't say it to your face, but they'll type it in a text or they'll type it on social media because everybody is 10 foot tall behind a screen. Everybody. Fools, they'll start fights everywhere. But wise men try to keep the peace. This is what Jesus said. You've heard me say it before in Matthew 5 and 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. The people who take it upon themselves to instill and to bring peace into people's lives and into their life. Because peace is not the absence of tension or conflict, but rather it's the tranquility of order. You will never achieve peace 
by number one, avoiding the problem. That's what a lot of people, we're just going to act like it's not there. I know it's really bad over here, but I'm going to look over here. Because if I don't see it, like my, my little girls when they were little, they would do this. And they thought because they did this, nobody could see them. Because they couldn't see it. And so what we do with a lot of things is we do this. Because if I don't see it, it's not there. That's what we tell ourselves. And we leave a lot of stuff sitting there seething and cooking. Because if I just ignore it and enough time passes by, I can just go back to it and act like everything's fine. And it's not fine. So you don't get peace by avoiding the problem. Unresolved conflict is like termites in a relationship. It will eventually bring the house down. Secondly, you don't get peace by appeasing the problem. God doesn't expect you to cower down and be a doormat and let people walk on you. He doesn't expect you to do that. There is a way to bring peace without confrontation. It's called conversation. And it's all hinging upon your spirit and how you treat everybody. So let's talk about an acronym for peace. Number one, P, plan for peace. Plan for peace. The reason most world peace conferences don't work is the same reason many relationships don't work. Someone has to be willing to make the first move. Now, I will just use an analogy that this may have happened somewhere in someone's house somewhere on earth, okay? You have a husband and a wife. There's millions of them, okay? So I'm not talking about anybody in particular. And some something happens. It could happen around holidays. I don't know. It might happen around holidays. But there is some type of conflict between a husband and a wife that arises. And both of them think they're right about whatever it is, okay? And sometimes what will happen is the husband is going to stand his ground waiting on her to come admit she was wrong. And the wife is going to put her heels in the sand. And she's going to wait. It's, it's a common scenario that probably has happened somewhere. And you got two people trying to coexist together. And both are going to give each other the silent treatment until someone buckles under pressure. But somebody has to make the first move. Somebody. God told me when I got married, he said, Son, you can live one of two ways. You can live right or you can live happy. It's easier to live happy. Okay. It doesn't just work with relationships of husbands and wives, but in relationships in people's lives. Relationships have been destroyed because people said, I'm standing my ground. 
Somebody's got to be willing. This is what the Bible says, okay? I got scripture for it. Matthew 5, 23. If you are about to place your gift on the altar and remember that someone is angry with you. Now, it's talking about bringing a sacrifice and coming to an altar, okay? But we, we come, it's all invisible in the New Testament church. You can't see it. But let me break it down. If you're going to pray and you're going to talk to God and you get down to pray and you remember that you've got Conflict with somebody, whether it be your spouse, a friend, a church member, etc. And it comes to your mind. The Bible says, let me tell you what it does not say. It doesn't say keep on praying and wait for them to come get you. It says you stop what you're doing. You make the first move. And you go to that person and you make things right with that person because if you don't forgive them, God cannot forgive you. You know how many people that are praying and asking God to forgive them and God's not forgiving them? We want to preach this gospel of love and grace and God forgives everybody of everything, but that's not Bible. Not Bible. If you don't forgive then God literally is looking at you going, I want to forgive you, but I can't. Because you're not forgiving whoever. And until you make things right, God can't forgive you. That can't be. That's the book. That's the Bible. He says, you leave your gift. You go make it right. Make peace with that person. And then come back and offer your gift to God. But what if I'm right and they're wrong? Doesn't matter. It's about being saved. Well, what if they don't ask for forgiveness? Doesn't matter. They didn't ask for forgiveness when Jesus hung them on the cross. Doesn't matter. It's about getting right with God. So if we're Christians and we're you're, you, you are to always take the initiative in seeking peace, whether you have been offended or you are the offender. Why? The longer you wait to resolve a relationship problem, the bigger it gets. If you just go ahead and just deal with it. Just deal with it. Because if you wait a year, it's going to be harder to deal with it in a year than it is right now. You just deal with it. It's good, huh, Brother Black? E, empathize with people. The second reason... Most world peace conferences don't work is that no one is willing to look at the problem from the other person's perspective. You're just seeing it through your lens, and you're like, well, I'm right. We're so worried about being right that we don't take the time and say, you know what? I never thought about how it looks from that perspective. I've only, I've been standing on this hill trying to die on it, and I never thought about the hill you're standing on. Proverbs 10 and 10 in the New Life, New Living Translation says, people who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, by speaking the truth in a spirit of love, we must grow up in every way to Christ who is the head. 
me just say it like this. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. And I'm talking to myself because sometimes my motto is the only way to say it is to say it. And that doesn't just sit well with every people, everybody. Sometimes you've got to put some honey and some sugar on it and, and, and help them digest it a little bit. And you don't persuade people by being abrasive. You don't get your point across by being cross. You've got to stop fixing the blame in order to start fixing the problem. So let me help you here. I know I'm giving you a lot to digest, okay? Seven rules for fighting fair in a relationship. Number one, never compare. I'm not talking about just husband and wife. I'm talking about relationships in, at large. Number two, never condemn, which means, well, you're this. You're this. Well, I, know, I know, but you're this. Never command. Never challenge. Never condescend. Never contradict. Never confuse. Let me go back to never contradict. There are people that, that, that I have sat and listened to that they had no intentions of listening to anything that I said. And the reason I know is because every time I went to start talking, they interrupted me to say what they got to say. And it was like an hour of my life that I'll never get back listening to somebody that had no plan on doing anything that I said. So when you're talking to somebody and they're just continually interrupting you and interrupting you, you just know right there you got to forgive them. You're not going to fix the problem. And don't do it to them. Don't just keep interrupting. Keep interrupting. Some people just like to hear themselves talk. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. C, we're talking about peace, and I'm hurrying. Cooperate as much as possible. Compromise is essential in every human relationship. You try to find areas of common ground and places where you can be flexible. This is what Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably. That's why the Bible says, Follow peace and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. James 3, 17, But the wisdom that cometh from heaven is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no partiality and is always sincere. More relationships die from inflexibility than from anything else. I got married when I was 19. So my wife, I was young enough, my wife could train me. But when you get somebody that's 30 or 35 trying to get married. They're pretty concrete in their ways. And you get two people that age, just sit back. You fix to watch fireworks. Because the older they get, the less flexible they are. <laughs> Think about the physical. 
Now, I know this body will fool you, but I'm not that athletic, okay? The older you get in the physical, the less you can do. You can't bend down, or you might not be able to bend down or touch your toes. You're not doing cartwheels. You're not doing all these exercises because you're not as flexible than when you were 10 or 15 or 20. Amen? If you're going to resolve conflict with people, you have to learn to compromise in some areas. You've got to learn that not every hill is worth dying on. There's things. When I was traveling, I had a list that I kept in a notebook that nobody could see. And it was do, don't do. And every church I went to, I learned there'd be things I put under the do category. And there were things that I put don't do. And you got to learn those things. And and when I started, when I started pastoring here, there was things, I'm just being transparent, that drove me nuts. But I wasn't dying on that hill. It wasn't a big deal. It was a preference issue. Okay? I don't like brown. But it's not stopping revival. So I'm not dying on that hill. I can say that because nobody in here likes brown, okay? I'm not tackling that. Maybe one day we'll get to it. But it's been two years and I haven't lost any sleep over it. You don't tackle everything that you don't like. Let me say this. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. There's people that do things different ways. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. I was watching Brother Maurice because I'm not a carpenter. We're, by the way, we're having baptisms tonight finally. This is almost done. We've got to finish the. But he'd be, Brother Maurice don't talk a lot. I know that, that shocks you. He don't talk a whole lot. And we'd be back there, and I'm just talking. Brother Jeremy's talking. And me and Brother Jeremy's talking about things of how to do it like this, do it like this. But you know what? We weren't the builders. I can't build a doghouse. Brother Maurice was the one doing the building, so you know what? It, however, Brother Maurice, if he said we're going to use Elmer's glue to put all this up here, we're using Elmer's glue. It didn't matter. There's some things that it does not matter. You don't need to die on that hill. Amen. I feel preach right now. E, and I'm at the end, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. You got to listen to me. This is where we mess up. Reconciliation means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means I still hate you. I'm just tired of fighting with you. What we want to do is we want to fix the problem and leave the relationship in shambles. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That means my relationship with you is more important than my problem with you. And there's, there's, there's people on church pews that will not talk to each other. Can you imagine that? Want to go to heaven together, but they're just not going to exist together down here. We got to get to the point where we're more worried about reconciliation 
and restoring the relationship than we are about resolution and fixing the problem. You can walk hand in hand. That's going to be weird. I'm not going to ask you to do that, Brother Jeremy. You can walk hand in hand. I'm going to use the illustration. You can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. You can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. The beauty of that mercy seat, there was a cherubim here, cherubim here, wings outstretched, touching at the top, and their eyes were looking down at the mercy seat. It shows us that we can be unified without seeing eye to eye as long as we keep our eyes on the mercy seat. Keep our eyes on God. It's what matters the most. You can have reconciliation without having resolution of every difference. There's the, when two people agree on everything, one of them isn't necessary. In courtship, the saying is opposites attract. Then in marriage, opposites attack. Thank you, Jesus, Brother Bowie. So you have to get back on track by emphasizing reconciliation rather than resolution. 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a synonym for being a peacemaker. And when you take it upon yourself to be a peacemaker, you are doing what God has called you to do. What, what was the purpose? What's the purpose of the sonship of Christ? Very easy. To restore relationship. He came to this earth, empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, to restore relationship with humanity. Then this is what he said. I'm going to give you the same power I have so you can do the same thing that I did. And so we want to talk about miracles, signs, wonders, laying the hands on the sick. We want to talk all about all of that great stuff. But where we fail to talk the most about is what matters the most to God, and that's restoring relationships. And we have a way. Stand with me. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up really quick. We have a way of giving up on people way too fast. I mean, there's people, they carry invisible Sharpies, them big old fat, bold Sharpies. And when someone messes up or crosses them, they just put a big old X on them. I'm done with you. And they'll just act like you don't even exist. Now, is that being like Christ? Listen to me. People have fallen from the lowest of saints to the highest of preachers. They've fallen. Okay? Across denominations. Let's not just talk about Pentecostal churches. Across the, the denominal world, people have fallen. And just because someone falls, this is what the Bible says. Consider yourself, lest it be you 
And so what we do is we think their problem, whatever it may be, whatever nature it may be, disqualifies them from ever being restored in the kingdom of God. And we, I've seen people shun people because they messed up, because they did it wrong, because they made bad decisions. But there's a whole lot of people sitting on church pews that the only reason that they hadn't been shunned yet is because they hadn't been caught. And their sin is still in private. It's about the ministry of reconciliation. You know why a backslider has a hard time walking through a church door? They're worried about being judged. They're worried about what people's going to think. It ought to be. And I'm not talking about just at this church. All over, okay? It ought to be that no matter who walks through that door, there ought to be so much love of Christ, no judgment, because I'd rather that person get things right and make it to heaven. It's more worried about I'm more worried about restoring relationships than dying on every hill that I think I'm right on. Amen. Amen. Three dimensions of peace. Human beings are incapable of sustaining peace or the tranquility of order without help beyond themselves. You cannot produce peace without the Spirit of God in your life. Philippians 4 and 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you need peace with God for salvation? Yes. Do you need peace of God for a troubled mind? Yes. Do you need peace on earth for a troubled relationship? The answer is yes for all three. How do we get it? We need God in our life more than ever before. Sister Joyce, if you'd come. I want us to close our eyes. I want her to sing that song, Peace peace. Because in this hour in which we're li we live, if you're looking at everything around, then the one thing the enemy's going to try to rob from you is the peace that God wants to give you. With your eyes closed and your hands raised, maybe this message spoke to you and showed you something in your life that you need to do. Maybe God is bringing to your memory something that needs to be made right with somebody. I would encourage you today do not wait till they come to you. Don't wait till they come to you. Whether they're in the church or out of the church, it doesn't matter. It's about re reconciliation. Sing it, Sister Joyce. Hallelujah. We love you, 